MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, Norman from Evo. Welcome to Bobby Las Vegas for Ghost Cussies with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beast Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, we are going to have aboard Justin Perry, who does such good work over at Chalk Valley Bets. We're going to be taking a look at a little bit of what we're getting on Friday. We're going to be talking a lot about totals, the way that he's been gauging them, why we have been seeing so many overs, and why we might be seeing a shortage of overs when it comes to the month of March. As it is now, March, February was trying to deny us for as long as humanly possible, but we have now reached that magical month, so it is absolutely tremendous that we have been able to get here, and it is tremendous to come at you on this podcast saying a day out. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever, before this podcast, you do have one of two ways we have for those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gnn underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters DM, they mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way, that is fine, an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today, but we had a great day of college basketball on Thursday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It has been an up-and-down season for the Gonzaga Bulldogs, but... My, oh my, did they make a statement late on Thursday. They win by double figures on the road against San Francisco, literally doing this podcast as they have just been able to put on the finishing touches, 86-68 being the final for Gonzaga. They go just 3 of 10 from 3 par inch, but they shot 62.5% from the floor. They did have the 17 turnovers. That's a little bit of a concern as Ryan Nemart. He does have 9 boards, 15 points, but those 6 turnovers, but... For San Francisco, even though they won that turnover battle 17-12, to they've lost the rebound battle 35-26. to This has been something I've been pointing out with San Francisco. Top 40 team with regards to rebound rate. Only one guy in the roster is averaging north of four rebounds per game. That would be Jonathan Mogbo, 14 points, 11 rebounds. It's been a pretty solid against the spread team with the San Francisco bunch, but all of a sudden, Gonzaga, they're starting to pick it up. They're looking a little bit better, and for San Francisco, that does drop them to 17-11 against the spread thus far this season. Didn't have a lot 
lot of top 25 teams in action, but Gonzaga, they were able to get the job done, and so was St. Mary's. And St. Mary's also cashes the over on Thursday night, 83-57 to the final. And for St. Mary's, they just absolutely dump truck Pepperdine by allowing Pepperdine to only be able to go 18-49 from before. Pepperdine loses the rebound battle 37-24. to As for St. Mary's, you got a double-double out of Alex Dusas, 12 points and rebounds, and Augustus Marcielos, hopefully I said that correctly, 17 points, 11 assists. He also puts up a double-double. He had just five points out of Ada Mahaney, and St. Mary's still got to 83. My goodness. This bunch has been looking very good recently, and a team that has been a nice little fade for you thus far this season in USC. They were able to rise up a little bit more on Thursday. They don't get the win, but they're able to get a cover against Washington State. This by a count of 75-72, to 72, and USC looking a little bit better now that Isaiah Collier, along with Boogie Ellis, are back in full. They only go 2 of 10 from 3 par inch, while Washington State went 10 of 20 from distance. Andre Yagmovsky was the difference in this game. 18 points on 4 of 10, 3-point shooting, while he also did have 18 points off the bench from Isaiah Watts, who was able to go 5 of 6 from 3, but for Washington State, they did lose the turnover battle 14 to 11, and they played even up on glass, while Collier was able to give USC 24 points. So, we did see a little bit of fight there, and then when it comes to these Thursdays, you always get a lot of these smaller conference teams, and in the Ohio Valley Conference this season, it's been a haven of unders, especially when you get those two Illinois schools going down. But this one went over, 70-66. to Western Illinois, they do get the win. They get denied the cover. This was more of a 5-5.5 to point line, but 12-133.5 goes over. So I have Eastern Illinois clocking in with 16 unders, 9 overs, and 2 pushes. Meanwhile, Western Illinois, 18 unders to just 8 overs. But this was a game that you're able to get good 3-point shooting out of Eastern Illinois to be able to push this one over. They go 10 of 17 from three points. So, you dug the under. It looked pretty solid. It was the tempo that you wanted, but just that Eastern Illinois knocked down a few too many threes. And now your best under team in all of college basketball. It's a two-way tango tie. East Carolina has played 19 overs to just eight overs. Vermont, ditto for them. And we did see East Carolina in action, and they did not get the job done against Memphis. As Memphis actually decided to play defense. 82-58 to the final. This was a closing total of 143.5, so you are able to get the under. And for Memphis, they didn't even shoot it well from three-par range. They go just 6-22 of 22 from three-par range, but they shot 57% overall from four in East Carolina. 4 of 27 from 3-point range. This has been quite a bit of a fade thus far this season with this Memphis unit, but they've been able to rise up a little bit more recently. Memphis now against the spread finds themselves 11 and 18, and I believe that all but four of those covers have actually come on the road. So Memphis has been a little bit more trustworthy when they've been away from home rather than when they have been at home. Ohio State, they had to play without Bruce Sorton on Thursday, but they still got the win and they got the cover against Ohio State. This by a count of 78-69 to 69 for Ohio State. way that they were able to get it done. Jameson Battle, he had 11 of the team's first 13 points. He was able to put up as a whole 32 points as for Ohio State. They win the rebound battle 43-33 to 33, and the Nebraska team just hasn't been quite the same away from home as they have been at home. Rink Bass was able to supply 14 points, 12 rebounds, but Casey Shomanaga, only 9 points in this one, and while we love Shomanaga scoring, if he's not scoring, he's really not providing much for this team. It is a Nebraska team that's now 18-11 and 11 against the spread, so so have been highly profitable this season, but that was a little bit of an issue for them. We saw a lot of America East action that went down on Thursday as well, and something that's really standing out to me is the way that this UMass Lowell team has been playing. They were able to take down Bryant by kind of 89-67 to 67 for Bryant. It's been a little bit touch and go for them thus far 
the season. Meanwhile, you've got a Lowell team that's been one of the best teams in all of college basketball in terms of their rebound rate. I was mentioning the fact that Vermont has been one of your best under teams in all of college basketball. They were the team out there in the America East that was on hiatus, but Maine, they now go to 16-12 and 12 against the spread. They fall to Binghamton by a count of 76-74 in a game that went to overtime, but they were catching 3.5 points, so they were able to get to the window there. And UBC now 17-12 and 12 against the spread with their 79-60 to 60 road win against NJIT, with NJIT going 5-29 of 29 from three-point range. Not necessarily so tremendous out there. Another team has been really good at being able to cover numbers all season long. That has been Old CSUN, Cal State Northridge. They were in action as well as they had to take on UC Irvine and Zot Zot the Anteaters. They took CSUN down to 20-7 and against the spread. Irvine, 89-64. They completely blame base. CSUN bent Lutkin. He was able to supply this UC Irvine team with 16 points, 6 boards, while this Irvine team, they just completely dominated on the glass. 45-36. to They win that battle for CSUN. You had Deontay Bostic supply 20 points, but the team goes just 3-17 of from 3-point in Irvine. Top four team in all of college basketball. In terms of points a lot on a per possession basis away from home. And for those that follow the DK Network right at picks, it's still been a really good season. We're 19 games above 500, but last seven days or so has been a little bit of a rough one. We took UC Davis on Thursday, and UC Davis, they came through for us. 75-63. to Love to see that as for Hawaii, they shot north of 50% from the floor, but lost the turnover battle 16-9. They lost the rebound battle 26-23. And Elijah Pepper and Ty Johnson... 60 points between the two of them for UC Davis. Exactly what we love to see. So that was very good to be able to get off the shine there and be able to get that one to the window. We saw a lot of games from the Coastal Conference as well on Thursday. And Sony Brook has been one of your top cover teams in all of college basketball. They're now 20-8 and eight against the spread with the push run in there as well. For Sony Brook, they were 9.5 point underdog and they cover against Drexel. 90-86 to 86 of final as you had Stony Brook shoot north of 43% from three-point range as a collective. You were able to have Dean Knoll be able to supply 21 points while Drexel, they were able to get hot themselves and they were able to do a nice job getting to the free throw line. 24 of 32 at the charity stripe with Justin Moore being able to give you more with 25 points. Drexel is able to win the turnover battle by kind of 10 to 9 and the rebound battle 34 to 29. But another good high quality cover out of Stony Brook. UT Arlington has been one of your better cover teams in all of college basketball as well. 18 and 8 against the spread. They absolutely take it to Seattle. 82 to 62. This was one of the more stunning results of the night as for Seattle, they go just 6 of 27 from three-point range. They lose a turnover battle 13 to 7. UT Arlington does lose a rebound battle by one, but how about Mr. Cash, Aaron Cash? He was able to supply a double-double. 18 points, 12 rebounds, big for UT Arlington, and another team has been quite good against the spread to you all season long. That would be old Eastern Washington out there in the big sky for Eastern Washington. They do find a way to get the win and the cover against Montana. This by a count of 89-79 to 79 as Montana loses this game while shooting 14-28 of 28 from three for Eastern Washington. They just did a better job of being able to fill out every other section of the stat sheet as you had 30 big points in this one out of Casey Jones. For Eastern Washington, they win the turnover battle 10 to 5. They win the rebound battle 31 to 27 as well. And they themselves went 5 of 11 from 3. 
24 of 29 at the free line. So Eastern Washington, they continue to just find a way to be able to get the job done. Not getting the job done has been Pacific all season long as they are currently a good hearty 6-22 and 22 against the spread. We did see a lot of WCC action that did go down on Thursday. And for Pacific, fortunately, they had the day off. So that was good for them as Stephen F. Austin, they've been 6-19 and 19 against the spread. They're your next worst cover team in all of college basketball. They were in action and they did get the job done against Cal Baptist. 62-60 to is the final. This Cal Baptist team just has not been the same without Dominique Daniels. They had Scotty Washington supply 19 points, but a Stephen F. Austin team has been rough all season long. They go on the road and they get it done. And you want to talk about rough teams against the spread? Michigan, 8-21 and 21 against the spread. They gave up 42 points in the first 15 minutes of the game against our good friends Rod Kurtz as the under still hits because Michigan only scores 52 points. 82 to 52 the final for Rutgers. They pop off for an 8 of 23 point shooting performance. Michigan, they shoot 31% from the floor. They lose their turnover battle 14 to 5. Just a lifeless unit that got back Doug McDaniel for the first time since eons in a road game, but he was unable to rescue the team. And Rutgers continues to be one of your best under teams in all of college basketball as well. 19 unders to just 9 overs for them thus far this season. And the top over team in all of college basketball, they were in action on Thursday as well. That would be the old pioneers of Denver, and they were able to pioneer themselves. A nice L by a count of 84 to 69, but with the total closing at 152.5, it did just enough to be able to go over the total. This was quite a bit of a sweat if you had it, and Tommy Bruner did his part being able to supply Denver with 31 points in this one, but for UMKC, they win this game despite shooting 5 of 23 from 3 as they went 23 of 25 at the free throw line and won the turnover battle by a count of 12 to 9, and Another team that's been able to cash you quite a few overs as far this season. That would be the old UT San Antonio Roadrunners. A meep meep to them. And another team that's been able to cash you quite a few overs has been Gardner-Webb. They've actually gone... 18 overs to 9 unders. This was one of those unders as this was a total set at a 148.5, but Gardner-Webb, they get it done by a count of 72 to 69 thanks to a white-hot shooting performance. They go 14 of 25 from 3-point. DQ Nicholas, Lucas Stiebert, they combined to go 8 of 12 from 3-point with the combined 32 points, so they were able to get that one done. And then just in terms of other ins and outs and calamities in college basketball, for anyone that took the points with UT Rio Grande Valley, I do really feel for you as they got the wrath of Grand Canyon in the second half. Grand Canyon wins by a count of 72 to 43. This after they were up just 28 to 24 at the half. UT Rio Grande Valley was able to hold in there in the first half. And then for Grand Canyon, they won the second half 44 to 19. As Diane Grant Foster was able to supply 21 points and UT Rio Grande Valley. Man, it's been a lot of sadness for this team thus far this season. They shoot 33% from the floor. This was a very low tempo game as well, but they just got cooked on the glass, losing that battle 42 to 23. So a little bit of a less than savory performance. So this team has been able to heat up. They were relatively bad against the spread to begin the season, but Abilene Christian now up to 15, 11, and one against the spread, 77 to 68. They take down a Southern Utah team that, in their own right, they've been a relatively good team against the spread thus far this season. But it does feel like Southern Utah starting to lose a little bit of steam. They're down to about 14 and 12 against the spread. While Tarleton State, they're up to 16 and nine against the spread. And for Tarleton State, they get the win, they get the cover against.
against Utah Tech by a count of 85 to 74. And if you are taking a look at what we're getting in college basketball right now, over the last seven days, things have been a little bit more overwhelming. 169 overs to 160 unders. That is a 51.4% clip to the over and home underdogs. They've had a rough season all year long, and they've gone 52, 54, and 2 against the spread. If you look at them overall for the season, hitting it now about 48.8%, 665, 698, and 22 against the spread for home underdogs and overs, hitting at 51.1% overall for the campaign, 2,483 overs to 2,377 unders. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on Thursday. Now let's take a look at Friday, and let's take a look at how these totals have been going down. Let's take a look at some of these top teams in all of college basketball as well. We'll do that with Justin Perry of Shock Quality Bets next right here on Cuts Cuts with myself, Craig Peters, and now a part of the Peace Family Podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, 
Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back here in Las Vegas. We're just going to with myself, Greg Peters, and now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it's always great to be joined by this man. Justin Perry does absolutely tremendous work over at Chalk Quality Bets. Taking a look at this great game that we all know and love of college basketball. It's been a very good year for him on this front. I know that he's doing a new show called The Justin Perry Show. He's got his name on it and everything. That's what we love to see. And he's got one of the best TikTok handles ever at College Basketball Picks all together. And if you're looking to follow him on Twitter, slash X, that's at his first and last name, Justin Perry. Last name is spelled P-E-R-R-I, and then the number eight all together. And Justin, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Greg, always a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We are recording this on the eve of March 1st, so I'm super excited to be here as we kick off the best month of college basketball. There is so much exciting college hoops ahead of us that we get to dissect and just enjoy watching. I mean, you know, you and I spend a lot of time previewing and, and trying to get these right. But at the other end, it's so much fun just to watch them unfold and, and see if we can. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, February tried to deny us March. They were able to make it a day longer to be able to get to March this year, unlike in past years. But you know what? We are going to be there before we know it. And Justin, just how are you taking a look at the landscape of college basketball entering into March? Because I do feel like there is starting to be a little bit of separation with these top teams like Houston, like Purdue, like UConn, that everybody will rise up. And then after I would say 
If you want to go with the top four or top five, I'm good with either of those numbers. And then it does feel like we've got a pretty dramatic fall off from there. Looking at some shot quality numbers, we actually have the dramatic fall off right after Houston. You can go to shotqualitybest.com and the NCAA team standings are right there. You can check it out. We have a very sizable gap right now that I specifically went and made sure is statistically accurate and in the sense that Houston just looks that good shot quality. Like when we go and run our numbers for when the bracket come out, I will not be shocked if Houston continues to imply value. They did last year. They came up a little short, but everything looks more and more to me like all these teams have some question marks to me. The top five for shot quality, we do it every week, is a little bit different than a lot of other places. We have a lot of respect for this Alabama offense right now. Developing 1.3 adjusted shot quality points per possession is absurd. Being expected to score essentially four points every three possessions. The next person down is 0.05 away, and that's Creighton. So we have those teams very high, a lot of good offense. Tennessee's defense looks impeccable, of course. Arizona in that mix. Purdue needs to be thrown in there, number six for us. We have the cluster right there, really, with Houston at the top, Alabama, Tennessee, and then a grouping of Creighton, Arizona, Purdue, UConn, and Baylor. And then maybe getting into that next step to round out the top 10. I know I went beyond what you said, but Marquette, North Carolina are some teams that we see really highly. And I think the the rankings do tend to agree with this. There's some schools in there. Maybe our top 15 does have Iowa State and Duke and Auburn. You know, we're not like off by too much but it's tight there at the top like we're splitting hairs right and that's what our numbers at least indicate we're talking about you know hundredths of a point per possession separating these teams when you look at what they are actually able to achieve in terms of shots generated but at the top remains houston and they should they are spectacular and they don't even do it with a lot of rim shots or a lot of threes they're doing this from the mid-range which is crazy Yeah, it is crazy, and no doubt about it, those top teams are certainly looking very strong, and it is going to be interesting to see which of those teams are going to be able to excel in March, because as we know with Tennessee, you always love the way that this team looks going into the tournament, and then there's been a little bit of a fall from there, but I do think that this could be a little bit of a different year for them, as Justin Perry, who does such good work over at Chalk Wally Best, is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, and Justin, I know you've been having a lot of success recently with being able to take a look at things from a totals perspective. I've been checking out your play of the days, and those have been hitting just left, right, and sideways. What has really been what you've been utilizing in order to be able to find those winners out there? Because I know you've been taking quite a bit of a look at unders. I know that you were just laying it out as well. Some of these teams are very demonstrative with their offense, like Alabama, Kentucky. They have just been cashing overs left and right, and I do think that it could be a case, correct me if I'm wrong here, that it does feel like bookmakers almost can't account for how efficient slash inefficient some of these teams are this year because we do have some outliers on really both fronts. I think that there's a lot of money to be made by taking a look and going beyond, I guess you would call it the normal amount that you would allow for like points scored, points allowed on a per possession basis, because it does feel like we've got teams that are more extreme on both ends of the spectrum this season. The way that I approach my work with the totals, especially using shot quality data, is to look into the regression a little bit. We have the ability to understand, I guess, what teams are expected to be doing based on how good of a look they are getting at the hoop. You know, instead of maybe just saying, oh, the shot went in or not, 
we take a peek at how open a player was, how good of ability each individual player has at each shot type. So what that allows us to do compared to everybody else is say, well, this team should maybe be doing a little bit worse. And I definitely try to key in on those types of stats and look into teams who have just been hot that our data indicates maybe is just that is a hot performance rather than you know, there are going to be performances where it's verified by what we're seeing in our data saying, okay, well, this team scored 95. They were supposed to. A lot of times, you know, think back to this week here with that massive Kentucky-Alabama game, the shock quality data came in, I think, something around 175 points, you know, not 200. They were shooting over 50% from three on both sides of the floor it was insane. And that's not normal. It can happen. And there might be an ability to, you know, go in and predict that specific games have more of a tendency than not. But over time, that type of performance is not very likely to happen. So you can directionally profit by saying, okay, it might be more likely to happen here and the line should be higher. And over time, I'll win overs because I know the distribution is, you know, more favored to higher totals. But in terms of taking a peek at these massive overperformances and how they can impact efficiency numbers, which are honest in the sense that what you score is what is reflected, right? So if you go and you have a massive game and you put up 100 points, your Ken Palm numbers are going to improve and your standings are going to improve and that win is going to improve your margins and you're going to look better, right? But what happens if that was hot shooting and not something that a team can continue to reproduce. That's where we step in and say, okay, what you saw wasn't exactly what you should necessarily take away. You know, there's other aspects. There's another layer to this where they hit everything. They were hitting contested shots. They hit all their open shots, or maybe they didn't get any open shots and they still shot 50% from deep. I mean, that's the type of thing where, you know, usually you have to sit there and watch a game and be like, no, I watched that whole Kentucky game. They really hit a lot of tough shots and I can, you know, trust that maybe they're going to struggle. But maybe if you watch that game, you knew they were just playing out of their minds and they went and they were underdogs on the road and they won their next game against, you know, the thoughts of the market. So it's obviously a very difficult puzzle to unearth perfectly every time, but having the ability to sort of peel it back one extra layer and say, okay, this team is expected to be around, you know, maybe their average, maybe a little bit above their average this year. They're having a good year. They're developing good shots. But when a team's sitting in like 39, 40% from deep in a conference play so far in the season, I mean, you know, I'm lifting my lips saying, all right, this team is going to have a bad night at some point, or they've been allowing everyone to shoot well against them. Someone's going to come in and have a bad night. And it does happen over over the long course of time. Like it, it does work out where when you have those over or under performances skewing efficiency metrics and perceptions of teams based on just the box score, you can adeptly position yourself with the truth of the matter, which is the process of the basketball being played. Yep, and I think that that is so important to be able to do, taking a look at the process itself, being able to dive in and trying to understand what's real, what's not, what was an outlier, and 
what is actually a little bit more sustainable. I think that that is just something that is so important to do as Justin Perry, who does such good work over at Chalk Quality Bets, joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. And Justin, typically when you join me on one of these slates, whether that be previewing a Sunday slate or a Friday slate, we've got a pretty bare board of games, but we, we got ourselves a pretty nice treat here on Friday. It's a pretty good slate. We've got ourselves, obviously, the Metro Atlantic, the Ivy League, but the Sunbelt joins the fun. We've got some Atlantic 10, some Mountain West. I do want to get your thoughts on what we've all got for this Friday, and if there are a few games that are standing out that you really like. Well, yeah, there's definitely a few games. I'm really excited about this Dayton-Loyola-Chicago game. Loyola-Chicago had been trending up, looking great, everything going right, and then... Boom, they run into St. Bonaventure, one of the toughest home courts. Didn't matter. Students were on vacation. Didn't matter. Loyola Chicago goes in and struggles. I liked Loyola Chicago early this season to be a team coming out of this A-10 with a shot to win it all. I think I'm holding a 10-to-1 ticket preseason on it. Dayton now visiting, coming off of that type of loss for Loyola Chicago, I think is a really nice spot for the Ramblers, honestly, I think you're probably going to get a pretty favorable line. You're going to get a road favorite here for sure. So, yeah, I think Loyola Chicago is live to get this game done. Dayton, of course, still jockeying. So this is just going to be a great one. If you look at the A-10 standings right now, it is tight at the top. Richmond sitting 13-2. Dayton and Loyola Chicago coming into the day tied. This is a big game. I like the home team here. I know Dayton's really good. But looking at their schedule, they're on the road here, then they're on the road at St. Louis and coming home to BCU, coming off of it, a home win at Davidson. I think this is probably the toughest spot for them to get the win. I don't know about covering, but in terms of winning, this is going to be the toughest spot. So I do think they could drop their fourth game here to another team in the A-10 that has looked really good, probably you know maybe a little bit of a letdown look-ahead type spot in that Bonaventure away game as they have their calendars circled for Dayton. It's their only meeting of the season in the A-10 here. So I do think this is going to be one of the best games of the day. I'll definitely be tuned in on this one. I think I like the home dog. I like the plus money on the money line. I think Loyola Chicago has turned a really nice corner. This is going to be a fun one. And then, yeah, you know, the Sun Belt's fun. But I don't know. What do you think of that Dayton-Loyola Chicago game, Greg? I do wish we were getting a little bit more with regards to Loyal Chicago right now because right now I'm finding them between a one to a two point underdog. And personally, okay. this is a line where I thought we would probably be able to get like north of three because yeah. at like a one or a two, it's hard for me to really be able to take Loyal Chicago at more like a two and a half to a three when you're starting to get a full possession IBM. But what I really take a look at is this 136 after 137 total. And I like the under because with Loyal Chicago, I don't know if they get the job done, but one thing I do know about Loyola Chicago is that they have played tough defense at home and they've really slowed games down. Yeah, they have top 50 in adjusted shot quality defensively, top 50 in shot selection allowed, and Dayton right there with them. You know, you talk about this Dayton team and you probably think they're offensive, but they rate better in most of their defensive metrics and their offensive metrics per shot quality. And 350th in pace. It's rare to find a 136-type line out there nowadays. And I think this one would have been played last year, probably sitting there at 132. So, yeah, I think there's a real chance that this one, being where it's at, talking about it having implications for who gets the two, maybe even the one seed in the A-10 in Brooklyn at Barclays. I'll be there watching this one because the A-10 is fun right now, I think. Yeah, give me the under. 
And, you know, we're paying this. It's the spot tax, Greg. I've been I've been talking about it on the Justin Perry show this week, our first ever week. So I, I do appreciate the shout out. We're just doing some high level panels, bringing on sharp people. Hopefully you'll be on there soon enough. And just, you know, having a good conversation between maybe people that don't get to come together and have them often enough. And, and I think it, it creates a fun environment. So we talked about the spot tax, and this is clearly one of those spots where Loyola Chicago is getting an extra point or two here of love that maybe makes your numbers start to skew towards Dayton. And that's the same thing for us here at Shock Ball. It's the same thing for me personally. Dayton probably wins this narrowly. But yeah, if I could get the Ken Palm number at around three, three and a half, yeah, I'm 100% on Loyola Chicago. But, you know, still give me the money line. I still feel like this is a great spot for them. And they should, you know, probably be more what you see is what you get. Dayton has been definitely overperforming, which is pretty interesting to say. Shock Quality thinks this is a squad that definitely should have a worse record not exactly what you want to hear, but in conference, their defense has just been stout and they're shooting 37% from deep. SQ expects 33. So an interesting spot, but yeah, I'll stick to my guns. Give me the Ramblers and I agree with you. Grab the under. Absolutely. And Justin, I do want to discuss one more thing with you as well, because you were talking about it, how big of a game this is. And as we know, conference tournaments, They're going to be starting up in the next few days. When it comes to diving into conference tournaments, these games are going to be played on neutral courts. We were talking a lot about totals throughout this conversation. Do you look a little bit more at unders and do you start to shade down your numbers a little bit more when we do have these teams that they're starting to play like three games in three days, three games in four days, because I've just found throughout the years, we shall see what happens this year, but I've just found throughout the years that conference tournament week into the NCAA tournament, that's typically where you can make some hay on these unders. Oh, yeah. I think this year will be unlike others, and it'll be even more severe. We will see a return to more of the style of basketball we are used to. I don't think there's going to be as much of a change, right? I don't think the bump in efficiency that we've seen across the board in the regular season is going to translate. That's my hot take. I try to have a hot take on every show I go on now. My hot take is that the playoffs will look a lot more like last year's than we think it could look like this year's, like seeing that type of boost into this being like one of the most efficient years. I think that because of that regular season efficiency, where the teams that are left in like the later rounds of the conference tournaments especially – will be the ones that can stop scoring. Because when you boost offense unilaterally and everybody, you know, with foul rules, whatever you attributed to this season, I attributed to the foul rules and what you're able to do on the floor now. But you take away the edge, right? Like having everyone boost your percentage better is worse, right? Because everybody's baseline is higher. So now I think we're going to see an emphasis on defense. So first round of these tournaments actually think you go overs the first round teams the weak teams the ones at the bottom of the conferences are going to feature little to no defense it's going to be a scoring barrage and then those teams are going to go and get absolutely shut down in the second round against the teams that get buys or you know when it's just two teams that won the first round by actually playing some good defense but especially in early round tournaments with buys and everything overs early unders after 
I absolutely love it, and I'm in full agreement with you. I do think that that's a good way of taking a look at it, and I know you mentioned it briefly, but want to give you the floor here. I know you're starting up the new Justin Perry show. I know you do absolutely great work over at Shockwave Best. Just let the good people at home know how they're able to get all of your fine work and how to follow you on social media and other platforms. Oh, man, yeah. So big month, of course, launching in March is no coincidence. You can follow everything we're doing with the new show. It's really easy. Just YouTube at The Justin Perry Show. It's my whole name. You can follow me on Twitter. It's all the same handle. It's pretty easy to find. Greg, you mentioned my epic TikTok handle is another great way to get into it. It's all very accessible, but at College Basketball Picks. That'll have clips from the show this week. We have a great one coming up on Friday, hosting a panel with Evan Mia and the data lead from Shot Quality Bets, along with Jim Root from Three Man Weave. So it's going to be, you know, names you've heard of, mixing it up, can't wait for greg peterson to be on one of those uh, bills and we can start getting you in the convo greg but thank you so much for having me absolutely by the way evan miyakawa and jim root two guys that have been on this podcast as well yes, two of the best so that's what we love to see and i'll be sure to join one of those shows as well that is for sure fortunately these million billion game college basketball saturdays are coming to an end <laughs> pretty soon so that'll be helping out a lot and a man that always helps us out is Justin, who does such good work. Take a look at this fine the game that we all know and love. Big thanks to Justin Perry for joining me on Cause Cause Soup Style, part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we need some big time. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday... I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. 
When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Las Vegas for Ghost of Ghost with myself, Greg Hoops Peters, and now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It's always great to be joined by Justin Perry. He does such good work over at Shock Quality Bets and now is host of the Justin Perry Show, which I'll need to be a part of at some point. He graciously gave me the offer, and once we get past these 100 million billion college basketball Saturdays, which that'll be coming to an end sooner rather than later, I will be sure to do so. Justin does such good work over there, and it's always a pleasure to get him on this show. Big thanks to Justin for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we eat some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNN underscore one and we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation or this is essentially time order with the games at the Atlantic Sun at the bottom because, well, the Atlantic Sun that is one of the smaller conferences and for some reason the Bowling Green versus Ohio game I think was supposed to be Saturday and it got moved to Friday so that got rearranged a little bit as well but past that we are going to be going in time order and it starts with 855, 856 on the card, Arkansas State. It's a face off against Appalachian State. Appalachian State, a seven-point favorite to announce game between 148 and 148 and a half. And I did say Appalachian State as a seven-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Arkansas State just has very demonstrative home and road splits. They're actually a better defense when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. But they're still outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis overall. And this is an Arkansas State team that at home, they're one of the most fearsome offenses in all of college basketball. But they have a fall-off of 
of 24.6 points per 100 possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home on offense, which is a big reason why I did sell my total 147 half. Here at the 148, I'm going to be looking at the under. Appalachia State is actually in the top half of all of college basketball, by the way, in terms of total possessions per game. They just lock you down defensively, top 35 team in all of college basketball with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, and Appalachia State has been able to do so by really controlling things down low. You've got Justin Abson, who's been able to give you 7.5 points, 7 boards, and 3 blocks per contest, while Trevon Spillers is able to throw in their 9 boards, a little bit over 1.3 blocks per game. If you do have trepidation with Langadier with Appalachia State, probably because this is not a great shooting team in general. They shoot about 33.5% from 3-point range at the free throw line as well. That is 66.7%. So if it is a little bit of a nip and tuck game, that is going to be a little bit brutal. But Appalachia State overall, they do a nice job locking you down from the interior. They do a nice job locking you down from 3-point range as well. And this is an Arkansas State team that is going to struggle on glass, even though you do have the versatility of DeAndre Dominguez. He, along with Isaiah Nelson, have done a nice job being able to combine for about 13.5 rebounds per game. Dominguez is able to shoot 33% from 3. And for Arkansas State overall, they shoot about 35.5% from 3. They're not bad at taking care of the ball. They do turn the ball over about 11.5 times for contest. Really, both of these teams do a pretty solid job of being able to take care of the ball. But with Arkansas State, I do think that they're just going to have a little bit of a tough time with that App State team that they don't really allow you to have a lot of second chances, even though they themselves, Arkansas State, they're about 91st in the country with regards to rebound rate. Do like what you're able to get out of Terran Todd, Caleb Fields. They combine for about 25 points per game, but this Appalachian State team, I really do think it's going to be able to bear down with their defense. They're one of the best teams on the front of both two-point and three-point shooting defense. They really don't generate a lot of seals, but they just play good man-to-man defense. And you've got an Arkansas State team that, to their own credit, they have given up 71 points or fewer in three of their last five games, 73 points or fewer in four of their last five going up against an Appalachian State team that ever since that double overtime game against Toledo, they have given up more than 65 points just once. So I did set my total 147 half, looking at the under with App State. Set them as a 7.5 point favorite, one to lay up to 7 with them. 857, 858 on the bang board. Harvard is on the road. They're facing off against Brown. What can Brown do for you? Well, they find themselves as a 2 to 2.5 two point favorite. Your total on this game is 141.5 to 142.5. I did set my total at a 140.5. I'm going to be diving in on the under. Brown has really been slowing down their tempo, and they've been rough with regards to their defense overall for the season, but it does feel like they've been picking it up a little bit more since it was absolutely atrocious in non conference play. They're still a team that's outside the top 150 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but I do think that they're going to benefit as well from a Harvard bunch that has been up and down all season as well. Malik Mack has been able to give you 18 plus points for contest, shooting 40% from three-point range, but all in all, it has been a Harvard team that just hasn't been able to find a lot of continuity because they've had so many guys banged up. Now, I will say this about the Brown defense as well. They're actually giving up fewer points per possession when they're away from home rather than when they are at home, so that's been a little bit of a strange split, but also have a Harvard offense that they just have not been the same when they have left home as well with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. This Harvard team overall for the season 230th and they're scoring about 7 points fewer per one hour possessions when they leave home. Now Chisa Mokpara has been able to do a nice job for this bunch. He's been able to give you a little bit over 4.5 rebounds per game. He's been able to chuck in there about 16.5 points per contest. You've been able to have Luis Lesman be a real constant for this team. I believe the only guy that's played every game for this team. He's been able to supply about 9.5 points per game while Justice Asia Bar has been able to give you two and a half blocks per game down low, but Harvard is going to lose the battle down low against a Brown team that is a top 150 team in terms of their rebound rate. Kalu Enya, Nana Owusu Anane are able to combine for 16 rebounds per game, and 
Your top scorer in this one is Kino Lilly for Brown. He's been able to shoot about 34% from three with 18.5 points per contest, and it has been a case where the other guys like Kino Ferrari, Aaron Cooley, they have yet to step up too, too much, but they do have a Brown bunch, and they should be able to do a nice job down low. If you do have trepidation with Brown, it's probably because they shoot 64.5% at the free throw line, but defense has been much better recently with 72 points of fear surrendered in three of their last four games, with the lone exception giving up 74 against Cornell, which that's more like 65 against other teams. And this Harvard team has been able to pick it up as well, give it up 70 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. So I did sum a total more around a 140 and a half. Looking at the under, I think their problem wins from within. Willing to lay up to two with them. 859-860 on the banking board. Marshall is on the road facing off against Georgia State. Georgia State is a three to a three and a half point favorite with your total between 150 and 151. I said Georgia State as a favorite of three and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Georgia State. This bunch has done a really nice job of guarding the three-point line. A top 25 team in all of college basketball disregard. And Marshall just has not been able to find it on offense. Well, outside the top 240 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, as it's been Obiana Unchele Killian, who's had to really generate offense. He's a personal six foot eight, little bit of a gadget sort of guy who's been able to supply 14.5 points, shoots 33% from three, but Marshall only shoots about 30.2% from three points to start with. Now, Nate Martin has been very good down low. He's able to supply a double figure amount of points. He's chipping in their 10 rebounds for a Marshall team that, if you look at their rebound rate, they've been able to do a relatively solid job on that front. About 176th in all of college basketball, Georgia State may have been able to do an okay job of being able to maintain there, but I do think that they're going to have some difficulties with Martin with them being about 266th in the country, but you've got the versatility of Dewan Odom on your side. Odom is main point guard with about 12 points, 5 boards, 4 and a half assists, shoots 43% from 3 points for a Georgia State team that does a better job of taking care of the ball. They only turn the ball over about 9.5 times per contest, top 35 team with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, and then you've been able to get good production of Lucas Taylor as a main scorer, shooting about 34% from three, 14 points per game. Georgia State, even with their good three-point shooting defense, they're still outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they are catching this Marshall team at just the right time. Marshall just has not been able to get essentially going on offense. They have scored fewer than 68 points in four of their last five games, despite being a top 50 team in terms of tempo. And for Georgia State, credit requires Zoo 71 points for fear of surrender in three out of their last four games. So, interesting circumstance. I do think that Marshall is going to be able to find a little bit more offense because they're really not based around the three to start with. But I do think that in the end, Georgia State does find a way to be able to pull it out and get the job done, especially with Georgia State having quite a few guards that do a solid job at the free throw line overall. They shoot about 76.5% the charity stripe, and each other top three scores shoot above 80% at the charity stripe. So, did somebody total 153.5, looking at the over and with Georgia State, willing to lay up to three with them. 861, 862 on the betting board. It is Old Dominion on the road facing off against Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, a four to four and a half point favorite with your total between 151 half and 152. I said Georgia Southern as a favorite of four points. Four and a half is my buy point on Old Dominion. Old Dominion did not play with a lot of vigor after Jeff Jones announced that he was going to be retiring a few nights ago. And for Old Dominion, it's been rough for them on defense. Well, outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Georgia Southern, though, is also outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And for Georgia Southern, this bunch has given up at least 76 points in all but one of their games as far this month. That's when they gave up 73 against Marshall a few nights ago. You do have Tyra Moore has been able to give you more with 16 points. Shoots 40% from three points for a Georgia Southern team. Then overall, they shoot about 34.5% from distance, but while outside the top 225 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis as they're not able to generate second chances, Eugene Brown along with Avante Parker are combining for about 10.3 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for Old Dominion, you do have... 
Tyrone Williams, who has really been able to step up ever since their top scorer, Vashon Alouette, decided that he was going to leave the program for Williams overall for the season. He's supplying about 13 points, 5.5 boards per game, but you take a look at what he's been able to do recently, and it has been absolutely remarkable. He has put up at least 11 points, and now all but one of the team's last eight games. He's coming off of scoring 48 points in the last two contests. Not too much of a facilitator, but also not someone that turns the ball over a lot. Old Dominion, a top 75 team in terms of ball security, and you do still have Chauncey Jenkins in the backcourt, who's been able to supply 16 points, 2.5 assists per contest. It is a Old Dominion team that you'd like to see them shoot a bit better as well. They shoot 66% of the free line, about 32% from 3 par range, and we got a case where Georgia Southern is okay with regards to their three-point shooting percentage, but they really get gashed from beyond the arc. Old Dominion, they're really rough on both fronts, so it's a good old situation of something's got to give, but with Georgia Southern being well outside the top three with regards to the rebound rate, Old Dominion not great themselves, but showing a little bit more of heartbeat. I do think that this Georgia Southern team is just not going to have what it takes to be able to cover this line. I did set my line at four, so could be willing to take four and a half with Old Dominion. I did set my total at 148. Both of these teams are ghastly with their defense, but both of these teams really struggling on offense as well. So I'm going to also be taking a look at this total under. 863, 864 on the betting board. Sienna plays those to Manhattan. Manhattan is a favorite of one point with your total 136 after 137. Last time these two teams hooked up, Sienna got a rare win, but I do think that Manhattan is going to get the payback. I set them as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the very small number with a Manhattan bunch and has not been much better than Sienna thus far this season, but I like what Shaquille Bender is able to bring to the table. Mr. Bender supply the team with 13.5 points. Shoots about 34% from 3-4. A Manhattan team has outside the top 275 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. And Sienna, while outside the top 260 with regards to points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis as well. And it's just been a case where health has been really the main deterrent for Sienna. Sean Dewar Gordon has missed the last few games. You have got Michael Ely who missed their most recent game as well. And when he was out there in his last action against Canisius about a week or so ago, he had zero points in 16 minutes and did not look like himself. I mean, outside of that, you just don't have anything for the Sienna team. They are in the top 275 in terms of rebound rate as Giovanni Amaruju along with Michael Everbrow have been able to give you about 12 rebounds per game. Those are tough last names to say, but that's that you really don't have a lot going for a bunch that shoots 27.5% from three. They turn the ball over 16 times per game, and now they're probably going to be without their top two scorers. Sidu Treore, meanwhile, for Manan, he's been able to give you about eight and a half rebounds per game. It's been a case where they have found a nice point guard as well. And Jaden Winston, nine points, four and a half assists, does turn the ball over about 2.7 times for contest, and he's not necessarily a great three-point shooter in his own right, but I just feel like Manhattan, at the very least, they have their guys out there. Meanwhile, for the Seattle Bunch, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out of them, and for Siena, they have just not been able to find offense, scoring 64 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Manhattan has been able to 63 points or fewer in each of their last four games, so a situation of something's got to give. I set my total 136. You're at the 137. I'm diving under, and with Manhattan, I'm willing to lay up to one and a half with them. 865, 866 on the bank board. Niagara plays us a Ryder. Ryder is a underdog of two points with your total 145 and a half. And with Ryder, I did set them as an underdog of three points. Going to be willing to lay with Niagara. What's strange is that Niagara has a massive home and road split with regards to their offense, and it's not for the home. Like, this Niagara team has been absolutely tremendous when they've been on the road. At home, they've been eh, not so great. Niagara is about 162nd in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, but for Niagara. They have been creme de la creme in terms of shooting from three-point inch away from home at 40.3%. That drops at 32.8% at home, which I find to be ridiculous. I think that 
that they should be able to pick it up a little bit. Now, with Niagara, even though they have been a very good three-point shooting team, they aren't necessarily a great three-point shooting defense. They're well outside the top two arm with that regard. And you've got a Ryder team that, since the beginning of the month of January, where they were just as cold as an igloo, they've been able to pick it up. They're shooting about 34.5% from three overall for the season. Since Metro Atlantic play began, they're shooting north of 37% from distance. You've got Alan Boom Boom Powell along TJ Weeks, who have been able to combine for 21 points. These guys combine for about two steals per contest as well, but it's been Mervyn James and his versatility that has been able to lift the tide for this team. A block, a steal, six rebounds per contest while giving you 19 points on 42.5% three-point shooting. And Ryder is a top 125 team in terms of their rebound rate. Niagara is outside the top 200, but they do have Harlan Obiana, who's been able to give you 10 points, eight boards, does a solid job as a seven-footer down low. And when it comes to Niagara team, you just have good overall balance with regards to the outside shooting. All but one of their top six scores have made at least one three. Shoots at least 36.5% from three-point range. The lone exception is their top scorer, Ahmad Henderson, who supplied the team with 12.5 points per game. And this is a Ryder unit that is going to give it up from three-point range. Ryder, 261st in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. So I do think that this is a good spot for Niagara. I did set them as a three-point favorite. So you had to do so. I'm going to be willing to lay it in. With regards to this total, I did set mine at a 145. You still have a Niagara team as well outside the top 200. With regards to total possessions per game, Ryder has been a relatively mid-tempo team. And as I was alluding to, this Niagara team has just not shot the same at home rather than on the road. So here at the 145.5, diving under, but with Niagara, do you think that they get the job done? Willing to lay up to 2.5 with them. 867, 868 on the big board. Mount St. Mary's at the road. They're facing off against Kenesius. Kenesius is a favorite of two points. Your total on this game between 142 and 142.5. With Kenesius, I set them as an underdog of 2.5 points. I like Mount St. Mary's right on the money line. With Mount St. Mary's, it's been herky-jerky for them all season long, but for Mount St. Mary's, they've been able to get much better point guard play recently. Dakota Lafiwi had to take over for Jalen Benjamin after playing off the ball last season, and he supplied the team with 14 points, four boards, and he's been able to shoot about 34.5% from three-point range. Now for Dakota Lafiu, he is the point guard of a bunch as well outside the top three with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, but it's gotten better, and for Mount St. Mary's, they should be able to win the battle down low. They're a top 70 team in terms of rebound rate. Now, Canisius, they've got the top overall rebounder in this game. That'd be Frank Mitchell, 13 plus points, over 11 rebounds per game, but Canisius, they just don't have a lot outside of them, and for Canisius, it's been sloppy with their ball control as well. 13.7 turnovers per game. You've got Trey Dinkins, Siam, Ijandal, who have been able to combine for 29 points, and both shoot about 38% from three-point range. They're going to be facing off against a Mount St. Mary's defense that has struggled to guard the three-point arc when they've been away from home. They allow opponents to only shoot about 30% from three-point range at home. That goes to about 38% in a roadside shoot court venue, and for Canisius, this has not been the world's worst three-point shooting defense. They allow opponents to shoot only 27.2% from three-point range at home. That goes to 37% in a roadside shoot court venue, but I do think that those splits are going to iron out a little bit. And with Mount St. Mary's doing a nice job being able to crank up their tempo, they're now up to about 127th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Last season, this was a team that played super-duper slowly. They are going to have enough pace to be able to get it done in this one as well, going up against the Canisius team that has been a little bit banged up with having Ty Savosky being out all season long. And CM Ijandal, who I was mentioning before, he's dealing with a little bit of an injury. Would be very surprising to see him play in this one as well. So with the Mount, I did set them as a favorite of 2.5 points. I'm going to be looking at them already on the money line 
Shannon did semi total at a 140 and a half. You had the 142, 142 and a half. Also looking under 869, 870 on the betting board. It is Maris playing us to Fairfield. Fairfield is in a pick'em game slash they are a one point underdog. Totals between 136 and 137. And I set Fairfield as a three point favorite. I like them outright on the money line for Fairfield. This has become a top 150 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But they've also got a guy that I like in Jasper Floyd who just stuffs the statue. Two and a half seals, four and a half assists, six boards, ten points per game. Doesn't shoot it amazing from three, but this Fairfield unit is now shooting 38.3% from three-point range. And man, is it travel with this bunch as for Fairfield in a roadside shooting court venue, they shoot 39.8% from three-point range. That is number three in all of college basketball. Now, I do think that they're going to be stuck in the mud a little bit more in this one, going up against a Maris defense that all season long has been absolutely remarkable. Maris is fifth in the country. Turns points allowed on a purpose possession basis. They're also outside the top 300 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Maris, honestly, not the worst shooting team in the world. They shoot 36% from the outside, 12 turnovers per game. It's a little bit high for their tempo, but that's not terrible, but even though Maris does such a good job defensively, they are outside the top 175 in terms of their rebound rate. They don't have a single player that exceeds 5 rebounds per game with Jaden Doherty. is 6.5 points, 5 rebounds per game, leading the way you've been able to have about 11 points out of Josh Passarelli. He's been able to pop it at a about a 37.5% clip from three-point range. And then you do have a 45.5% three-point shooter in Javon Cooley, but for Maris, they just have not been able to find a lot in terms of interior offense as well. They're shooting overall from the floor about 44.5%, and they do go up against a Fairfield unit that certainly they've had their warts in terms of giving it up from three-point range. They're clocking in about 133rd in all of college basketball, but they actually give up a lower three-point shooting percentage when they're away from home rather than when they are at home. And for Fairfield, are they going to be able to do quite the same as the Samaritan team on defense? No, but at the same time, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they're 161st in all of college basketball, going against a Maris bunch at other than Max Allen, who's been able to give you 12 points per contest. They just don't have a lot of scoring in. This Fairfield team is coming in in very good form. They've been able to really heat it up with regards to their offense and against a Maris unit that has been a little bit more sketchy with their three-point shooting defense rather than their two-point shooting defense, as Maris is overall in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, about 48th in all of college basketball. I do think that this Fairfield team, they do find enough open shots to be able to get it done. Probably not going to duplicate the 85 plus points that they have scored in the last three games, but I do like this Fairfield team. All right, on the money line, set them as a three-point favorite, and they might total a 135. Also going to be looking at the under. 871-872 is the DK Network right effect. This is Quinnipiac on the road facing off against Iona. Iona is a favorite of two to two and a half points, and your total is between 152 and 153, and I did set Iona as a two and a half point favorite. At the two, I'm going to be willing to lay it, but with my write-up pick, that is going to be on the total under. I did set my total at a 148 and a half. Iona is currently dealing with their top player being away from the program, and Greg Gecko Gordon, who's been really good, supplying the team with about 16 points, seven half boards, and if you looked at his last 11 games, he was averaging about 19 points per contest for an Iona team that is a relatively solid outside shooting team at home. They're shooting about 36.5% from three-point range, but the issue comes down low and at the free-throw line. At home at the free-throw line, they shoot 64.1%. That is a bottom 25 mark in all of college basketball. And then in the interior, this team is about 265th in all of college basketball in terms of two-point shooting percentage. Iona outside the top 200 with regards to their rebound rate. Quinnipiac within the top 200. Both of these teams are okay on both the offensive and defensive glass. Nothing great, nothing terrible on the Quinnipiac side. Amari Tice, Paul Otino, they've been able to combine for 24 points, 14 rebounds, while Matt Lonich has been able to shoot 36% from three. And if you look at this Quinnipiac 
Sweepiak team. Each other top five scores all shoot at least 35.7% from three-point range overall, but their three-point shooting percentage plummets to 31.5% in a roadside shooting court venue. And for Quinnipiac, they are committing about 12.5 turnovers per game, and they go up against an Iona team that their bread and butter is generating turnovers. They are seventh in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a offensive play basis, and you've got Eden Tertout, who's been able to give you about 14.5 points for contest, but ever since Gordon has been out of the fold, it's been Iona really needing to rely upon that defense. They have lost three straight games, but hasn't really been the defense's fault. Given up 72 points or fewer in two out of their three games, they have scored 65 points or fewer, though, in two out of those three as well. Going up against a Quinnipiac squad that they have been very rough with their defense. They have given up 80-plus points in each other last four games, but their overall 135th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This climbs into the top 85 in terms of a roadside shooting guard venue as they're only giving up about 1.7 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring slog of a game. So I'm going to be looking at the under, but with Iona, despite the fact that Gordon is currently out of the fold for this team, I do think that they generate enough turnovers to be able to pull it off at home. And I do think that this Quinnipiac team is just in bad form in general. My write-up here is going to be on the under. And with Iona, did something as a two and a half point favorite, we'll delay up to two with them. 873, 874 on the betting board. It is Yale, and they're going to be playing us at Dartmouth. Dartmouth is an underdog of 19 and a half points with your total 132 and a half. And with Dartmouth, I did set them as an underdog of 20 and a half points. I'm on delay with Yale. This Yale squad has been very good in terms of their defense, and they go up against a Dartmouth team that has a legit bottom 15 offense in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Dusan Niskovic, Brandon Mitchell-Day have been able to do a relatively solid job for this bunch, and to the credit of Niskovic, he's up to about 16 points and four boards per contest, while Mitchell-Day, he supplies about 9.5 points. With Niskovic, he shoots 36% from three, but outside of him, man, this team is rough. For Dartmouth, they shoot 30.2% from three. They're a slow-tempo team that turns the ball over 12 and a half times for contest, and they go up against the Yale team that has really been putting the handcuffs on teams. If you take out the harebrained games that they had against Columbia and also Cornell, they've been able to do a really nice job of just being able to hunker down all season long. In regulation, this team has given up 73 points or fewer, and now out of their last 17 games, all but three of them, you've got Danny Wolf, who's able to give you 14 points, signed in boards. She's 37% from three-par inch, and it's a Yale team that is very smart and efficient. They only turn the ball over about nine and a half times for contest. Top 40 team in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, and the first time Dartmouth played against Yale. Dartmouth could only get to 51 points in that spot. Yale was able to go on the road and win that game 76-51. Question becomes, how much more than 51 can Dartmouth score? And I don't think it's going to be a whole heck of a lot more. I did set my total at a 132.5. I was seeing a few 133s very early on. This opener was a 133.5. At that number, I would be willing to take a look at the under, but I do think that Yale going to do a nice job against the Dartmouth team as well inside the top 275 in terms of their rebound rate for this Dartmouth bunch. They haven't been the world's worst team on defense, and when they are at home, they're a very good three-point shooting defense. Away from home, they allow opponents to shoot north of 40% from three-point range, so I do think that this Dartmouth team is going to get pasted once again. I set my line at 20 and a half. I'm going to be one late. I flat out don't think Dartmouth does a lot for this total. So, at a 133 or higher, looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Yale. 875, 876 on the betting board. Coastal Carolina is playing us to James Madison. James Madison, a favorite of anywhere between 15 to 14 and a half points. Your total on scheme is between 156 and 156 and a half would need a 14 and a half or less to be able to lay it, but at a 14 and a half or less, I'm willing to lay it. If this gets north of a 15, that is my buy point on Coastal Carolina's. I did set my number at a 15 for Coastal Carolina. 
They're outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. One thing they've done okay, they're about 135th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but James Madison is right now checking all the boxes. They're a pretty efficient offense in the top 75 in all of college basketball. They're 10th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, a top 100 team in terms of rebound rate. They've got plenty of depth, play super up-tempo at a top 40 pace with regards to total possessions per game. Going against the Coast Carolina team that they just don't have a lot to be able to counter that, and for Coast Carolina, they're not doing the little things. They're turning the ball over north of 13 times for contests. They're shooting less than 69% at the free throw line. Kevin Easley was coming from TCU. He's been able to give you about 10 points per contest, a few boards, so he's been able to help out a little bit, but it just is a team that does not compare to this James Madison unit that does have someone like a Terrence Edwards who's able to lead the way with 17.5 points per game. James Madison, they have fallen off with their three-point shooting a little bit down to about 35.5%, but uh, their top four scores have made at least one three this year. All of them are shooting at least 37% from the outside. You've got TJ Bickerstaff control things down low with 8.5 rebounds per game, but uh, their top six scores, all but one of them, give you at least 4.4 rebounds per game as well. They only turn the ball over about 10.9 times for contests as well and with this Coastal Carolina team just having a rough time being able to get their defense going. They have given up north of 70 points in five out of their last six games. I do think that a uh, James Madison team that has been able to get to at least 80 in each of their last five, they're going to be able to pick apart this defense. I did set my line at a 15, so like I said, 14 half or less is my buy point on James Madison. 15 half or more looking at Coast Carolina, but also did set my total 157 yard at 156. Going to be looking at the over. 877, 878 on the big board. South Alabama is going to be playing us to Louisiana. Monroe. Monroe is a underdog of seven to seven and a half points on scheme is one forty five and a half. I did set my line at six. Here at north of seven, I'm going to be one to eight those points with Louisiana Monroe. For Monroe, it's been a touch and go season for them, but over the last few weeks, the team has been able to step it up big time with their offense. Now, they're going through a little bit of funk right now with 66 points or fewer in three out of their last four games and fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games in late January, early February. They were really able to get their stuff together, and the team is overall outside the top 275 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, but Derek LaCour, he be able to shoot about 36.5% from three with 11 points per contest for a Monroe team that should have a little bit of a leg up on the glass. South Alabama is outside the top 200 in terms of their rebound rate. Meanwhile, for this Louisiana Monroe team, even though you don't have that one dominant rebound or anything like that, they're about iron fifth. You've got Nikita Merkikishvili, hopefully I said that correctly, being able to supply about six rebounds per game, but on top of that, it's been Jalen Bolden being able to give you about 8.6 rebounds per game. You've been able to get in that neighborhood about four boards, six points out of Jerry Nogpot. So these guys, they've been able to step up in a big way. The big key is just being able to protect the ball. 13 turnovers per game for a Louisiana Monroe team that's outside the top 250. There's a total possessions per game. Not tremendous. Going against the South Alabama team that isn't great nor terrible at being able to generate turnovers. You've been able to have a guy in Mr. Marcus Melander be able to supply three and a half assists per contest as a true freshman shooting 42% from three points for a core that they shoot about 35%. From three-point range with Isaac Gator, coupled with Tyrell Jones, being able to supply you with about 23.5 points per game, but for South Alabama, it's really been a defensive issue for this team. While inside the top 225, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, and South Alabama, typically a slower team, they're now in the top 125 in terms of total possessions per game. They've done a good job of being able to guard the arc. 62nd in all of college basketball with that regard, but they're dealing with a Louisiana Monroe team that really doesn't do a lot from beyond the arc, and I do think that that's going to allow Monroe to be able to hold in there. Other than Thomas Howell, you don't have a single guy for South Alabama that's giving you north of four rebounds per game, and I like what I've seen on 
on this Monroe team recently. So I'm going to be willing to take the points with Monroe. Felt like this line should have been a bit closer to six. And with regards to the total, did set mine at a 144. So I'm going to be taking a look at those points. And here at a 145 and a half, I'm diving under. 879, 880 on the betting board. It is Princeton. And they play us Columbia. Columbia is a 13-point underdog with your total 143 and a half. Also set my line at a 13. I was seeing a few 12 and a halfs a bit earlier out there. If we can get back to a 12 and a half, that would be my buy point on this Princeton bunch with Princeton. They just do the little things really well. They're a top 20 team in terms of few turnovers on a per possession basis while being in the top 20 with their free throw shooting percentage. It's a bunch that just does not fell a lot as well. And for Princeton, it's a team that they don't really go beyond the starting five too much. You've got one guy that comes in off the bench in Dalen Davis who's been able to give you about five and a half points per contest, but because they don't fell a lot, because they don't play up-tempo, they're able to utilize these five guys in really good harmony. You've got Xavier Lewis who's been able to just stuff the sad sheet, three and a half assists, 18 points, shoots 36% from three. Matt Loco goes a loco from three, 41% three point shooter with 12 and a half points per contest. And among their top four scores, only one of them shoots below 83.3% the free throw line. And that'd be your main rebounder in Caden Pierce, who's been able to spy 15 and a half points, nine and a half boards with three assists per contest. Going up against the Columbia team that is outside the top 200 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. This Columbia unit does shoot very well from three point range. They're a top 40 team in terms of their three point shooting percentage. And they go up against a Princeton unit that you know what? Sometimes they do leave a little bit of something to be desired from the perimeter. Princeton, 129th of the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. It's not great. It's not terrible. Meanwhile, with this Columbia unit, they are checking in more around 111th, but this does go up to about 34% in a roadside shoot score venue where they do get cooked a little bit more. Is down low. Columbia does not really have a lot of presence down low. You got player Thompson, who at six foot eight, he's done a nice job shooting north of 40% from three-point range. He's able to give this team a about 10 plus points per contest, but he's only pulling in there. About five rebounds per game, and he's the guy that's leading the way for this team. You've got one other player that gives you a north of 3.7 rebounds per game. That'd be Geronimo Rubio de la Rosa who's supplying you with about 14 points, is able to reel in their five rebounds, and does a nice job being able to dole out the ball. About four and a half assists per game with about 1.7 turnovers per game, and he does shoot 38% from three-point range, and then have your top five scores for Columbia. Four of them do shoot at least 40% from three-point range, though you do have a Princeton team that they really look to slow things down. Princeton outside the top three area with regards to total possessions per game. Columbia, a little bit more of a mid-tempo team here, so it's a little bit of a situation of, I do think that you're going to have some good offensive overall efficiency, but I do think that this is going to be a bog down game with regards to just the total possessions, but I do think that both teams execute just enough for the over. I did set my total at 145. I'm going to be looking over and at a 13. It is a case where I do want this to move a little bit. 12 and a half or less. Going to be willing to lay with Princeton. 13 and a half or more. Going to be taking a look at those points with Columbia. So, as of right now, waiting on that line movement. 881, 882 on the betting board. Cornell, they are going to be on the road facing off against Penn. Quakers of Penn are a 3 and a half to a 4.9 Dog. Your total on this game is 158.5. Did somebody total 156.5? I'm going to be looking at the under for Cornell. This has been one of the most high-powered offenses in all of college basketball, and certainly a bunch that is able to knife it down, though they're a top-20 team in terms of their two-point shooting percentage, and really a whole is greater than the sum of its parts collective. You've got six different guys averaging between 8.2 and 12.6 points per game, and that's what really makes this operation so impressive. For Cornell, they're averaging 82.4 points per game, with nobody averaging more than 12.6 points per game, and 
They only have one guy that averages north of five rebounds per game, but yet all six of their top six scores do give you at least 3.2 rebounds per game. They really do play team basketball, and the guy that is able to give you about five rebounds per game, that'd be Guy Raglan. He's been able to do a nice job, you know, contribute 40% three-point shooting in for Cornell. The team as a collective, they do shoot 35% from three, going up against the Penn team as well outside the top 200 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis and opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but they do have some pretty demonstrative home and road splits, and you've got a Cornell unit that they themselves are going to give up quite a few looks from the inside. On the outside, they've been a pretty good three-point shooting defense, though. They are in a roadside shoot square environment. Lying opponents to shoot just 31.4% from three. That climbs a little bit north of 34% from distance when they're at home. You've got a Penn team, meanwhile, that they allow opponents to shoot just 34% from three at home. That climbs up to 36.5% when they're away from home. But I do think that Penn going to be able to do a relatively okay job on the glass because a lot of their numbers are warped by the fact that they have been dealing with so many injuries. They're actually 104th in the country in terms of rebound rate with Nick Spinoso doing a nice job spying the team with about some boards, three assists per game. You've been able to get good production out of Tyler Perkins, who, as a freshman, he's been able to throw in there 15 plus points per contest for a Penn team that, from three par inch, are shooting about 35 to 36% from three par inch. Getting back Clark Slager, their top scorer with 17 half points per game after he was out for seven games. That has been massive as he's shooting 41% from the outside for a Penn team that they only turned the ball over about 11 half times per game. This is a Cornell team that they are very much one that will gamble for turnovers. And to the credit of Cornell, defense has been a little bit better, giving up fewer than 65 points in two other last four games. But you've got a Penn team that has been able to do a better job ever since Slager has come back into the fold with their offense, scoring at least 70 in two other last three games. It has been a defense, so that has been rough. They have given up at least 69 in each of their last five games. They haven't given up more than 77 in any of those as well. I just have a feeling that this is going to be one of those games in which Cornell just barely is able to scrape by, get to 80, but it just barely holds under the total, which is why I did set my total 156F. I'm looking at the under. And with Penn, I did set them as an underdog of 4.5 points. Here at the 3.5 to 4, I think Cornell, a team that has relatively similar metrics with their defense home and road, does just enough to be able to get the job done, willing to lay with Cornell, and I'm going to be looking at the under, set my total 156F. 883, 883.884 on the card. It is Troy on the road facing up against Texas State, and Texas State is doing the Texas 2-step to being a 3.0 underdog. Total on this game, getting it at a one. 38 to a 139. With Texas State, I did set them as a five-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Troy. Men of Troy have been covering nearly 65% of their games as far this season, and Troy, despite the fact that they don't have a single guy in the roster, it gives you a north of five and a half rebounds per game. Thomas Dowd has really been that guy to lead the team in rebounds with a little bit over five per contest. They are the better rebounding team in this one, and Texas State has a forte of being able to rebound. They're about 147th at all of college basketball with that regard, but Troy, in terms of their rebound rate, they're number 76 in the country. And Troy does a really nice job generating turnovers. Top 25 team nationally in terms of turnovers force on a per possession basis. Facing off against a Texas State unit that has been able to get a little bit of facilitation from their main guys in Caden Gums, along with Jordan Mason. Mason a little bit more of the score with 12.5 points per contest. He chips in there about three assists, shoots only about 26% from three, while Gums he also shoots 26% from the outside, nine points per contest. And that's where you need to attack this Troy team. They are outside the top 275 in terms of opponent's three point shooting percentage and that's really their main weak point while Texas State turns the ball over north of 13 times per game. You've been able to get good production with about 10 points, 7 rebounds per game out of Davon Sykes, but with this Troy team having so many guys that do a nice job colliding on the glass with having Christian Eugene along with Tayton Conaway being able to supply 27 points. These two guys have been able to combine to be able to give you about 5.5 assists per game while Eugene shoots 41.5% from 3 par range and it's a Troy team as collective shoots 74% of the free throw line with 3 other top 4 guys shooting north of 80 
50% at the free throw line in a nip and tuck game. I do think Detroit is going to be able to find a way to be able to get it done. The Detroit team has been very solid on offense all season long. In terms of their points allowed on a per possession basis, they've been able to do a pretty okay job on defense. It's a Texas State team that as well, you'd expect them to be a little bit better than 121st in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis while Troy checks in 69th. Now, I did set my total 141. We've got a Troy team that is in the top 100 with regards to total possessions per game, and I do think that they turn defense into offense, and I do think that you get some late game fouling. Looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay the three here with Troy. 885, 886 on the card. Southern Miss hits the road to face off against Louisiana. Louisiana is a seven point favorite. Your theory total between 147.5 to 148. I said Louisiana as an 8.5 point favorite. I am going to be willing to lay this summer with Louisiana. They've done a really nice job locking down from 3 points. As a matter of fact, they are number 1 in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' 3-point shooting percentage. Southern Miss, 319th in all of college basketball. And this is a Louisiana team that is able to get cooking from 3 points. Now, Louisiana, not as great of a rebounding team. I like what you've been able to get down low with about 9 rebounds and... 13 plus points per contest of Joe Charles. Outside of that, you really don't have anyone else that does an amazing job of being able to hit the glass, but it's not like the Southern Miss team has been dominant on the boards as well. Southern Miss, about 198th in all of college basketball in terms of their rebound rate. They have gotten Andre Curbelo back in the full, but the Andre Curbelo experience is just all over the place. He does a solid job of being able to provide offense. He's been able to give you 14.5 points, 3.5 assists. He'll throw in there for good measure about four turnovers per game. If he was eligible and played the eligible amount of games, he'd be leading country in terms of turnovers per game, but this defense really slides when Andre Carvalho is out there. He has played 10 games for this unit. I don't think that there's a single game where this bunch has given up fewer than 70 points. Meanwhile, they themselves have been able to pick it up a little bit more with their offense. They've gotten to at least 70 in three of their last four games. You've got a Louisiana team that has been rough recently. They have lost four straight games, but that said, this unit has been in pretty much all of these games. They have gotten to at least 70 points in three of their last four. It is a Louisiana unit that is shooting as a collective about 34.5% for three points with Kobe Julian giving you 70 and half points per game. It's a bunch that also does a nice job generating turnovers. Top 75 team in the country with regards to uh, turnovers forced on a per possession basis while famous folks has been able to give you four and a half assists per game. Southern Miss might have a little bit more down low in way of shot blocking as they've been able to get 2.2 blocks per contest out of Victor Iwakar who's been able to supply six boards nine and a half points per game and credit where credit is due for Southern Miss. Uh, their top five scores with Curbelo back. They all give you at least 4.4 rebounds per game but even though Southern Miss was able to win the first time that these two teams faced off a, about a week or so ago by a count of 82 to 71. I look at that result with Louisiana shooting 6 of 25 for 3 and 7 of 15 on the flip side for Southern Miss and I don't think that it's going to duplicate itself. Southern Miss lost a turnover battle 16 to 9 and I do think that we see a reversal here. I did set Louisiana as an 8.5 point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number and with this total I did set mine at a 148.5. Southern Miss playing much more up-tempo with Andre Cabello in the fold so looking at the over and one to lay with Louisiana. 887, 888 on the card. It is Dayton. They hit the road to Ferry South against Loyal Chicago. Loyal Chicago is an underdog of one to one half points. So all this game is 136.5 to 137. Set by total 134. I'm going to be looking at the under. I am signing with our good friend Justin Perry there, but I am going to be willing to take Dayton here. I've seen this be as low as a pick'em as well. With Dayton, I was willing to lay up to two. I do think that this is going to be a nip and tuck one possession game, and I just have a little bit more faith in Dayton being able to supply the offense to be able to get it done. This loyal Chicago team outside the top 175 in terms of points scored in on a per possession basis. Meanwhile, Dayton has just been able to find good ways to be able to generate offense. And the Satan team, they've got the better rebounders. This loyal Chicago team is actually a top 75 team in terms of rebound rate. They're actually better with their rebound rate than Dayton, but Dayton has those two guys in eight Santos, Dayron Holmes. Combining for 14.5 rebounds per game, you've got Holmes who's able to give you north of two blocks per contest with 20 points, 
eight boards. He's shooting 37% from three, while Santos does shoot 49% from three-point range. And there is one way to be able to take down this loyal Chicago defense that has been in the top 50 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. That's popping up from three. Loyal Chicago, 224th in the country, and opponent's three-point shooting percentage now. They allow opponents to shoot 30.1% from three at home, 38.5% in a roadside shooting court environment, but I do look at that split. I think it's going to even out a little bit, and Dayton on the road is allowing opponents to shoot just 30.5% from three. That's a top 40 mark in all of college basketball, and Dayton does a better job of taking care of the ball. 9.7 turnovers per game with guys like Kobe Elvis, Kobe Brea doing a nice job being able to protect the ball. Javon Bennett has been able to give you 3.5 assists per game. Meanwhile, for Loyola Chicago, do have to like what you've been able to get out of Phil Paulson along with Desmond Watson. They both give you about 12.5 to 13 points per game, but Loyola Chicago, the 13 turnovers per game, I think that they're going to be very costly recognize that Dayton has had some mixed results on the road, and this is a Dayton team as well outside the top 75 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they have found it once again on defense. Dayton has allowed 71 points or fewer in pretty much each of their last five games, and you've got a loyal Chicago team that they themselves at home. They have given up fewer than 70 points, and I believe all but one out of their last 12 games, so I do think that this is going to be a slog. I set my total at 134, diving in on the under, but I do think that Dayton does just enough to get it done one to lay up to one and a half with them. 889 8 90 on the betting board. Fresno State hits a red face off against Nevada. Nevada 15 to a 15 and a half point favorite. Till Don's game, you're going to be getting it between 137 to 137 and a half. Somebody told 139 and a half. I'm looking at the over. Fresno State is in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and they're just getting cooked in a roadside shooting score venue. Now, they do go up against a Nevada team that has been quite good with their own defense. Nevada also sees a nice bump with their defense when they are at home. Nevada, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're checking in 49th in all of college basketball giving up about 11.5 points fewer for one-arm possessions when they're at home rather than away from home. Meanwhile, Fresno State, 294th in the country, giving up five points more for one-arm possessions when they leave home. And for Fresno State, this team just is giving you nothing down low with Eduardo Andre 3000 being on the fold. He was a nice rim protector with a little bit over block, five rebounds per game. Now, you do have Isaiah Hill, who's been able to do a nice job, giving you about six assists, 12.5 points per contest, while Xavier DeSalle has been your main three-point shooter at about 40.5% from distance. But Fresno State, who is so hot from three-point range, begin the season, they have cooled off, and now they have to face off against a Nevada unit that they just really do a nice job of doing the little things. Nevada, top 50 team in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. They're a top 25 team in terms of few its turnovers on a per-possession basis. You've got Jared Lucas, who's giving you 17 points per contest. Keenan Blackshear, 15 points, five boards, five assists. Doesn't necessarily pop it from three, but Nevada, they do a nice job on the defensive glass, not allowing you to get a second-chance opportunity as well. And for Fresno State, this team just has not been able to bust through with their offense. If you look at regulation and regulation only, because the Utah State game then went to overtime. Last time this team has been able to exceed the 68-point plateau, you have to go all the way back to the month of January. I do think that Nevada going to do a nice job sticking the team in the mud, but you've also got a Fresno State team that has now given up north of 73 points in each of their last three games, and the Nevada offense, 75-plus points in four of their last five games. So you've got two evils there. I do think the Fresno State is going to be able to bust out for a few more points, but I do think that it's going to be because of a little bit of garbage time. I set my line at a 15 and a half. I'm willing to lay 15 with Nevada. And it's up by total 139. So here at the 137, 137 half, looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Nevada. 891, 892 on the betting board. Air Force is on the road facing up against Utah State. And Utah State is a 16 to a 16 and a half point favorite. Totals between 138 and 138 and a half. 
set my total at 139. I'm going to be taking a look at this little over. You've got a Utah State team that has been one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball. This despite the fact that they just don't shoot it well from three-point range. Utah State is outside the top 175 in terms of three-point shooting percentage. As a matter of fact, they're 294th. It's a little bit better at home, shooting about 33.5% from the outside. This compares to shooting just a hair above 30% in a roadside shoot court environment, but you've got an Air Force team that has been a much better offense away from home rather than at home. They shoot 38.7% from distance, one away from home. At home, they're only shooting about 34.5% from the outside, and they're averaging about 6.3 points more per 100 possessions away from home rather than at home. And this is for an Air Force team that's outside the top 225 with regards to the rebound rate. They are well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and that does put me on the over in this spot, but for Air Force, I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a rough time just because they don't have a lot of depth. I like their big three. Bo Becker, Evan Taylor, Ryan Petratus. These three guys have done a nice job combining for about 44 points per contest. They all give between four and six rebounds per game, and between Petratus and Taylor, they've been able to shell out about six half assists per contest, and for Air Force, they shoot about 36.5% from three-point range if you combine their home and their road numbers, but Utah State, a top 25 team in terms of being able to guard the three-point line, and Great Osabor, well, he has been great. 18 points, nine boards, a steal, nearly two blocks per contest, and then Darius Brown. He just runs such efficient offense. He's been able to give this team 6.3 assists and 1.8 turnovers a game. He shoots it in his own right, about 38% for three-point range, and he's become a little bit more of a demonstrative scorer himself. He's been able to put up a combined 40 points in the last two games, like what I'm seeing there, and then Ian Martinez has been able to shoot it well from three-point range for Utah State. This has been a unit that has been a little bit better with their offense recently, getting past the 75-point plateau in three out of their last five games, and they've given up a little bit more on defense as well, giving up north of 70 points in three out of their last four games, going up against an Air Force team that has truly been getting cooked with regards to their defense. I do think that Air Force could be able to knock down a few threes in this game, despite the fact that Utah State has been a good perimeter defense, but I do think that in the end, they're going to be coming up well short, and I do think that this Utah State squad is really going to be able to take it to them. I set my line at a 17. I'm going to be willing to lay the 16 to a 16 and a half. And looking at the over, semi-total 139. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we get the extra games, 893-894. Ohio plays host of Bowling Green. Bowling Green is an underdog of 7.5 points. Total on this game is 150.5. Said Ohio is an 8-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the 7.5 for Ohio. They're going to be a little bit outgunned down low. This Bowling Green team has been able to do a nice job with Jason Spurgeon along with Rashawn Agee combining for about 15 rebounds per game. Bowling Green as a collective, they're about 108th in all of college basketball the guards rebound rate and for this Ohio team has been an almighty struggle for them. They are currently checking in 252nd with this regard, but to have an Ohio team that all of a sudden they've been able to give you a little bit more on defense. I'm not saying that's amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but if you look at this team coming in in the last five games, they have given up fewer than 67 points in each other the last three. They had to play against Toledo and Arkansas State. Those games got a little bit harebrained and nutty, so that was a little bit rough for them, but those were the only two games in the month of February in which they gave up north of 70 points, and those are the only two out of their last, I believe now, 11 games in which they have given up north of 70 points as you've got a nice backcourt with Sharif Mitchell, Jalen Hunter being able to combine for about 28 points per contest. Hunter shows out five assists per game. Only shoots about 31% from three, but as a collective Ohio, they do shoot 36% from the outside, though Mitchell and Hunter don't shoot it well from the outside. You've got A.J. Clayton shooting 41.5% from three. Miles Brown, who's been a little bit banged up, but is out there. He's shooting 43.5% from three-point range. And A.J. Shelton, he only gives you about 5.5 points per game, but he's 
He's been able to come on strong with about a 48.5% three-point shooting clip himself. Meanwhile, you've got a Bowling Green unit that has been one of your worst three-point shooting teams among D1 college basketball units. 29.5% is what they do shoot from three-point range. Now, Marcus Hill, he's just a pucky getter. He doesn't shoot it well from the outside, but he does give you 21 points, five boards, two and a half assists. And this Bowling Green team, they do take on a little bit of the sort of identity of Todd Simon, who was always playing super-duper up-tempo while he was at Southern Utah. We have noticed Bowling Green's tempo going northward as the season has went along in Ohio. They're a brisk pace team. They're not super-duper fast. They're not super-duper slow. But for Bowling Green, what I think is going to be so costly in this game, they are 343rd in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, for this Ohio unit, though, they are not a team that does a great job on the glass. They do an okay job of being able to guard the arc. They allow opponents to shoot just 33.1% from the outside. And overall, for the defense of this Ohio team, it just doesn't do it justice for the way that it's playing right now. They were very brutal in the non-conference portion of the schedule. Currently, they're about 192nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 11.4 points fewer at home rather than in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. And for Bowling Green, they're checking in about 122nd with this regard. I do think that this has the potential to be close enough for late-game falling. We did see an opening total of a 149. Still seeing a straight 149.5 out there as well, and that would be my backs by point on the over. I semi-total at a 150 as Bowling Green, they've been acting up a little bit with regards to their defense and the offense. It has been very much touch and go, so at a 149 for less, looking at the over, but I do think that Ohio finds a way to be able to get the job done even though Bowling Green has an advantage down low. Ohio has the very clear perimeter advantage, so going to be one to lay with Ohio and at 149 for less, looking at the over and now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today so we go into the bonus. 306-551, 306-552. Jacksonville is going to be playing us for Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast, a one and a half to a two-point underdog with your total 130. And I said Jacksonville's a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay it. The Jacksonville defense has been able to come back in full force now. They did have a little bit of a hiccup two nights ago in that game for Jacksonville. They just got completely bludgeoned, losing that 86-73 to against Sets in just a hot shooting night from them. But you take a look at the Jacksonville unit prior to that. They had given up 74 points or fewer in five out of their previous six games, and for Jacksonville, the defense is back thanks to Brandon Workman being back. 7.5 boards, 11.5 points per game. This is a Jacksonville team that has also been able to do a nice job of being able to generate turnovers. They get about 8 steals per game. They go up against the Florida Gulf Coast team that hasn't been awful at taking care of the ball. They turn the ball over about 12 times for contest. Leaves a little bit of something to be desired, but for this Florida Gulf Coast team, they are outside the top three arm with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage going up against the Jacksonville squad that at home they've done a great job allowing opponents to shoot less than 28.5% from three-point range. When they hit the road, that goes up to 40%, but for Jacksonville, a top 150 team with regards to turnovers force on a per-possession basis. Florida Gulf Coast, they're only checking in 280th, and that's going to help out a Jacksonville team that has been turning the ball over just 13 and a half times for contest. Been rough there, but you've got Robert McCray give you 17 points per contest with Marcus Iblack out of the fold. They've really needed it. And for Florida Gulf Coast, Zach Anderson, he's got size about 12 and a half points, five boards at six foot eight. He's been able to shoot north of 40% from three par range, but they've been dealing with injuries all throughout the season to Isaiah Thompson. He's been able to supply 13 and a half points, shooting 37% from three, but just don't know if you're going to be able to get night in and night out out of him for Florida Gulf Coast. It's a top 125 team with regards to rebound rate. And though Jacksonville, overall for the season, they don't have those numbers with Workman back in there. 
They've been much better on the glass. That should allow them to be able to take this game, and one that should be lower scoring with Florida Gulf Coast being outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game now. I do think that this is close enough for late game falling, and I do think that we've adjusted a little too much for Jacksonville's current play. I set my line at a 4.5, so going to be willing to play with Jacksonville, and did set my total 132.5, so also looking at the over to go long Jacksonville. 306,553, 306,554. Queens NC plays us to Kennesaw State. We give our own to Lane Kiffin go all as Kennesaw State, a 1.5 to a 2.5 point underdog. Totals between 170.5 and 172. Semi-tall 170.5. This opener was a 174. That was a good take on the under if you had it. Still some runway here if you've got a 172 with Kennesaw State his bunch has actually been relatively okay at being able to just pull in rebounds in general with Demon Robinson, being able to supply you with about 7.5 boards, 12.5 points per game. They rank outside the top 200 with regards to the rebound rate, but it's not like this Queens NC team is really going to be able to be the foil to that. As a matter of fact, both of these teams, I do think that they're going to be getting some second chances in this game. Kennesaw State about 235th in the country in terms of their rebound rate. Queens NC, they're well outside the top 275 with regards to the rebound rate as well, but I did say Queens NC as a two and a half point favorite. Queens NC, I'm not saying they're amazing in terms of being able to guard the three point line, but you know what? They're the better team in this spot. Kennesaw State, they certainly have been giving it up from the outside in terms of opponents' three point shooting percentage. This Kennesaw State team, 326th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, for Queens NC, a relatively respectable 187th at home. Opponents are shooting just 31.2% from three point range against them. And then you've got a pair of guys that both supply their respective teams with north of 16 and a half points per game. Entire Earl Burton, along AJ McKee. Burton, main facility. Facilitator for Kennesaw State, 16 and a half points, throws in their 6.3 assists per game, and then he's got Simeon Kotal helping him out, giving you about 15 points per contest, along with about three assists. Both of these guys combined for about three steals per contest. But for Kennesaw State, you've only got one out of your top eight scores as shooting above 33.5% from three-point range. Meanwhile, for Queens NC, you've got a little bit more pop from the outside as McKee, he's shooting about 31.5% from three. But past that, you've got BJ McLaurin, Alon Denton Albury. These two guys they combine for about 29 points per game and a combined 36% from three points with Queens NC. Only turned the ball for about 11 and a half times per contest. I do think that both of these teams are just not going to provide quite enough for the over here out of 172. I'm looking at the under despite Kennesaw State being a top 10 team with regards to total possessions per game, but I do think the Queens NC going to do just enough with their ball security and advanced three-point shooting percentage to be able to get it done. Set my line at two and a half, so I'm going to be willing to lay the one and a half to two and looking at the under. It's 306-555, 306-556. North Florida plays us at Setson. Setson is a one half to a two and a half point underdog. Totals between 149 and a half and 150. Did set my total 148. Diving in on the under. Sets in well outside the top 275 with regards to total possessions per game. And North Florida is very much a mid-tempo team as well. North Florida has been outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but I just flat out don't think you get enough possessions for an over. And with North Florida, I set them as a two-point favorite. Here at the one half, it's a max I'm going to be willing to lay with them. And I personally would rather lay a point and a half rather than take two and a half in this ordeal. You've got two very dominant scorers on both sides. Jalen Blackman for Setson. He's supplying 21 points, shooting from three-point range north of 40% for distance, while Chaz Lanier, he's been able to give this North Florida team 19 and a half points, four and a half boards on 43 and a half percent three-point shooting. And for North Florida, as collective, they shoot 35 and a half percent from three, 76% at the free line. Setson is going to have the best rebounder in this game at Oban against Stairsay, who's been able to give you about seven and a half boards per contest, throws in there a block and a half per game. And Stephon Swenson, 6 assists to 2.7 turnovers per game. And for Setson, they do a nice job not turning the ball over. About 10.5 turnovers per game, but this is a Setson unit that they've got some pretty demonstrative home and road splits as well, and I just don't know how the offense is going to be able to travel in this ordeal in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, despite the fact that Setson does shoot about 36.5% from 3 par range. It is a unit that 
Overall, it's 77th in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but that sets in three-point shooting percentage. It does go downward quite a bit when they are away from home. Sets in at home has been one of your best three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, in a roadside shoot-to-court environment, shooting more like 35.5% from three-point. Meanwhile, you go up against a North Florida squad that they've been able to get Dorian James going with about five-and-a-half boards, double-figure amount of points, and for North Florida, they do get to face off against a Setson unit that just has not been able to guard the arc all season long. For Setson, they are 236th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, with North Florida being able to give you a few blocks down low. And this is a North Florida team that they themselves do give up quite a few open looks from three, but most of those come on the road. They allow opponents to shoot 33.2% from distance at home, 38.5% away from home. I do think that North Florida going to do just enough to be able to hit the boards and to be able to get this job done. I did set North Florida as a two-point favorite, so going to be willing to lay up to one half with them. And did set my total 148 with both of these teams just not playing with a lot of tempo in general. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with North Florida, 36557, 36558. Central Arkansas plays us in North Alabama. North Alabama, a road favorite of 4.5 points. Total on this game is 153.5 to 154. Set my line at 5.5. I'm going to be willing to lay it with North Alabama. North Alabama has certainly been allowing a lot of open looks from three-point range. You are in 58th and off college basketball in that regard, but they allow opponents to shoot 34.5% from three away from home, more like 35.5% at home. And Central Arkansas is outside the top three in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And they are 355th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And at home, teams are shooting north of 40.5% from three-point range against them. Fourth worst in all of college basketball, 40.6%. For Central Arkansas, they thought that they were going to be having someone like a Cameron Hunter to be able to lead the way on offense. He has been out for the entirety of the season, so that means that Tucker Anderson, a little bit of a 6'8 combo player, has had to come in, and he's given the team like 15 points. He's able to pop threes in the mid-30s. You've also been able to have Obang Otium, who's been able to give you about six to seven rebounds per game to be able to help out a little bit down low, but Central Arkansas still well outside the top 275 with regards to the rebound rate. Going against a North Alabama team that they struggle on the boards as well, but you do have Darion Force, who's been able to give you about 10 points, eight boards, and this North Alabama team as a whole. They shoot 35.5% from three while being a top 125 team and taking care of the ball only about 10.5 turnovers per game with Chikari Lane, KJ Johnson combining for about 29.5 points per game. You've got a bunch that has also been able to get a little bit with 5.5 boards out of Dallas Howell as well. He's got some versatility at six foot seven. He's able to shoot 34% from three-point range. And with Central Arkansas just not having a better of scoring options, running against a North Alabama team that they've been riding a little bit of a three-game losing streak, but they've been close and darn near all those games. They've gotten to at least 70 in every one of them, while Central Arkansas has given up at least 77 points in four out of the last five games. I do think that Central Arkansas's defense just continues to get cooked. Set my total at 153.5. Open it on this game with 152.5, seeing between 153 and 154 out there. Personally, I I'd rather take the 153 over rather than the 154 under. So, looking at the over and I'm willing to lay up to five here with North Alabama. 36.559, 36.560. Bellarmine has rode face off against Austin P. Austin P is a 9 to a 9 and a half point favorite with your total between 138 and 138 and a half. I said Austin P as a 9.5 point favorite. At the 9, it's a max I'm going to be willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it with Austin P. Do it all score. DeMarcus Sharp has given you 17 points, 7 boards, 4.5 assists per game in return for the first time in about a month. And he didn't quite look like himself in his first action out about a month against Eastern Kentucky. He had 10 points, 4 assists, pair of blocks, but 
was able to do just enough for the team to get the job done. And for the Sonson P unit, they were one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball going into the month of February. But since the month of February has began, they have scored at least 77 points in now eight straight games. You have to handicap this team very differently, in my opinion, as a result, going up against the Bellarmine unit that they're outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game, but also outside the top 275 in terms of both points scored and points a lot on a per-possession basis. Bash and Ben Johnson, they're combining for about 27.5 points per game with Johnson shooting 37% from three. Bellarmine does a nice job taking care of the ball, only about 9.7 turnovers per game. They go up against an awesome P team that has been a little bit rough with their defense. They're outside the top 225 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and they're well outside the top 200 in terms of their rebound rate, but Ospie does a nice job locking it down from the outside. They're 123rd in all of college basketball. The guards opponent's three-point shooting percentage, while Bellarmine is more around 235th, and around Mr. Sharp, you've got some good sharpshooters for this awesome P team, as Isaac Haney has been able to shoot north of 35% from three, supplying the team with about 8 to 9 points per contest, and then Desi Jones, coupled with Jamonta Black, they've been able to combine for just under 30 points per contest, and these two guys, they've been able to shoot a combined 39% from three-point range, while also chipping in their seven boards with their 26 points per contest. I do think that Austin P going to be able to take it to Bellarmine, and I do think that Bellarmine is going to be able to get this game slowed down a little bit more, and I do think that with Austin P, with having Sharp back in the fold, they are going to revert a little bit back to what they were playing a bit before, but that said, you've also got a Bellarmine team that has been having a little bit of a rough go of it on offense as well, which is why I did set my total at a 137 half here at the 138 plus. Going to be looking at the under and I'm willing to lay up to 9 with Austin P, and we're going to things up with 306-561-306-562. Lipscomb plays those to Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky, an underdog of 3 points with your total between 162.5 and 164. Did set my total at a 163. This was an opener of 164.5. Here at the 164, I'm still going to be willing to dive in on the under. Eastern Kentucky has been a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball. The guards opponents 3-point shooting percentage, but one that has been able to really step up down low as you've got Isaiah Kozart, who's right now leading off college basketball with just under four blocks per contest. He's been a double-double machine with 15.5 points, 10 boards, going up against a Lipscomb unit that they just aren't going to be able to compete down low. You've got Will Pruitt, who's been able to give you about six rebounds per game, but that is about it. Here with this number at three, it would be a case where I'd be in a little bit more weight and see mode, and the threes have some juice. So if we can get to a three and a half, I'd rather take a three and a half with Eastern Kentucky rather than lay it to and a half with Lipscomb, because even though Lipscomb has been tremendous with their offense, they're shooting 37.9% for three. That is a top 45 mark in all of college basketball. You do have an Eastern Kentucky team that they should be able to match that three-point shooting as well. Eastern Kentucky, overall, they are shooting from three-point to 36.8%. Now, that does decline to about 35.5% in a roadside shooter court environment, and they do have to rely upon Lowland Walker to really get things set up. 15.5 points, 4.2 assists per contest, but this Eastern Kentucky team, they've been able to improve as the season has went along a little bit in terms of being able to guard the arc. They've now given up 73 points or fewer in three of their last five games, so they've gotten to 75 points in all but one of their games since the turn of the calendar. And for Lipscomb, not saying that it's much, but they've given up 75 points or fewer in three of their last four games. I do think that this is going to be a tight nip and tuck game. I do think that Eastern Kentucky going to be able to hang in there with the way that they're playing down low, but with this Lipscomb team, I do feel like they do a better job of taking care of the ball. Only about 10 turnovers per contest out of them, which is why I did set my line at three with Lipscomb. If we continue to climb upward and get to a three and a half, going to be willing to take the points with Eastern Kentucky, and here at a 164, I'm diving in on the under, and that'll wrap things up 
for the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family Podcast, and a big thanks to Justin Perry of Shock Quality Bets for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline, at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other way, that is fine in Apple Podcast Review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And that means I'll be back with you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.